you know, fires can happen any place. So that, you know, if you really have really dry two or three weeks, you have to be careful. I know a couple of years ago, we had the wettest season ever, like 70 inches of water. And yet, in the middle of that season, there was a three-week dry spell where we had fire warnings out. See a lot of invasives when we go for walks. We see a lot of streams, which are have been ruined in many cases by too much runoff without the water soaking into the ground. Uh, result of a lot of development, but also there are good things we've done. There's a lot of places where those have been fixed. So yes, I mean, I think everywhere you look, you see that. But the heart of all this, I'm hoping that people would be inspired to walk more, get outside more, take care of things more. Hello, and welcome to Green Dragon, a monthly show where we talk about green initiatives in Maryland and Howard County and ongoing sustainability efforts at Howard Community College and ideas and ways for you to be more sustainable at home. I'm Bob Marietta, HCC's Environmental Health and Safety Supervisor, and I thank you for watching today. My guest today is Ned Tillman, who is considered by many to be the environmental godfather of Howard County. If I listed all the local environmental, historical, and sustainability groups you're connected with in Howard County, I wouldn't have time to ask you any questions. So we'll move on and I'll talk with those folks and their organizations in future podcasts. So Ned, can you tell us a little about the educational and career path you took to get where you find yourself today? I'd be happy to. It's nice to be on your show. Certainly regard you as one of the leaders in the county. You've certainly been very effective at doing things on the college campus and beyond. So thank you. Uh, I guess my interest in this whole arena came when I was very young and grew up living outside a lot. I just loved being out in the woods, down by the stream. And so I really went off to college thinking, can I get paid for doing any of this? What do I need to study? What do I need to pursue? And I fell into a program that at the time we called geology. Now most of those departments are called earth and environmental sciences. But it was a program that did get you out off campus every week exploring. And that really, really hooked me, I think. And I went on to get a couple of degrees. And then I found jobs where people actually pay me to walk around in the woods. So I thought I really made it at that point. In fact, I, I don't think I've ever worked a day in my life in this fact that I really enjoyed I have a lot of curiosity. I like to enjoy the outdoors and trying to understand that whole nexus and balance between humans and uh, the nature. So what was it about Maryland and specifically Columbia and Howard County that got you to stay and settle here? Well, I certainly grew up in Maryland. I'm a native Marylander. I was working in the Middle East for a consulting project and got a call from Johns Hopkins to come and work with them at the Applied Physics Lab. And this is where I wanted to end up because I have family in this area. But it's also a great microcosm for the whole country, both from the nature perspective and the settlement and growth perspective of humans here. So it's been fascinating to understand the history and the science and the nature in my own backyard, so to speak. What has been your perception of the development of Columbia from the days of James Rouse and the development of the environmental and sustainability movements? Well, it's been a unique area, I think. I mean, lots of areas have very good people working in them, but this particular area is fascinating in that there are a lot of professionals uh, in this area. And Rouse, I think, was very progressive. 
he didn't know the the outcomes, but he always said we have to keep nature in balance and protect things. And the fact that we have open areas and miles of paths, it's been a great place to get people outside exploring things. So I really think the concept was great. And I think, you know, to keep moving forward, we all have to understand this balance question between man and, and nature. And I think this is a great place to try to do it. It's not easy, but it's a continuous struggle that I think all of us have to work on. You've certainly done your part to get people out and on the trails and, and experiencing the, the area around us. I can remember taking many walks with you around the natural features surrounding us. And, and once we discussed the idea of Columbia as being an arcology or a contained biosphere, and we compared the ideas of Heinlein and Buckminster Fuller looking at our so-called city on a hill. I wondered what you think about that idea now as we look at Howard County's design hoko uh, with development and infill concentrated in the east end of the county yeah i've been involved with the, the planning programs for a couple of decades now and it's always interesting to see what the vision is and then how it's implemented i think there is a uniqueness to columbia in that we do have a lot of development going on that does bring in some very high quality consultants so i think we all have learned a lot more than many other areas of the country we do have a unique ecosystem here. Some of that's good, some is bad. We've tried to manage the stormwaters. We've tried to uh, keep the air pollution down, but it's not always easy. And the thing that I guess surprised me the most is that it wasn't a question whether it was growth or no growth. It was more a question of how do we accommodate the projections of like 40,000 more people in this uh, community. Uh, well, it gives us, we have the time and maybe the money to do it better than we did in the past. And I was just hoping we see more leadership at all levels. I mean, everybody listening to this, in this broadcast certainly has some role to play. And I think in the spirit of Columbia, we owe it to ourselves and the environment and the future of people. Do you think there's actually been a shift towards science-based planning? Or do we simply rely on the dollars and cents of development? Does that still really make the big decisions about what goes where? Well, certainly the vision and the economic model of the developers are much like most of us at home. You know, we try to live within our means and make some money. So that will always be part of the equation. I think what we've tried to do here is make sure we have the right expertise at the right level of decision making. That means, you know, on the what we used to call the third floor of Howard County office buildings. That means in the board suites, the executive suites of businesses. It means people in their own backyards. Uh, we all have to take into account how healthy the environment is going to be in the future. And, you know, there's a lot of concerns we have, and it's everybody's problem. And the solution is up to everybody as well. So, yeah, I think we try to do a lot of science-based planning, but when it comes down to individual decisions, we all have to step in and help. I really like that idea that everybody needs to get involved and help make these decisions. Did you personally get involved with the design HOCO process at all? Well, the last one we did 10 years ago, I was the chair of the board that did that. And it's interesting to look back and see what worked and what didn't work. This time I did participate in reviewing some of it. And I'm very interested in sitting down to see if we have the right teams in place to make it work. I think one of the big things is transparency. They've done a pretty good job. The county has done a pretty good job of getting the design plan out there. But how we implement it, uh, how we monitor it, all things, that uh, it's not over yet. It's just the beginning. 
with the encouragement of people like you, we can keep more people involved in it. Make sure they stay transparent. I think you're right. That's very important. Ned, as we enter the what's called the Anthropocene era, dystopian letter like your big melt no longer seem fictional. And actual incidents around the world show you may have even downplayed them somewhat. What has been the reaction of various generations of readers to that book in particular? <laughs> I guess that's been the most interesting book I wrote from the perspective of responses. I have responses from people, maybe the engineering type of people who would say, oh, that can't happen. Well, it's, I have some humor in there. I, I do some exaggeration to make it engaging. I really wanted people to wonder while reading the book, how bad could it get? And what do we really need to do to save things? So yeah, I, I think that's been the most interesting mix of, of books. I've also had people from 16 to 85 say that it's a wonderful book. They loved every minute of it. So it's all a question of uh, trying to bring humor into a very scary topic in some places. The last thing I want is people to just not do anything. So I think the five or six examples in there of anecdotes of fires or beetle infestations or melting asphalt, all these things are to get people to think, oh, could that really happen? And then I hope they start looking into it and trying to you know, maybe devote their lives to making sure those things don't happen. Yeah, I remember shortly after you you let me read it. I uh, They had the, the issue in Australia where the streets actually melted. It was really obvious to me that you hadn't stretched. These things actually were going to be happening around us. And, uh, so we all better wake up. And I and Bob, I never expected what happened in Canada this last year. <laughs> you know, all the fires, tremendous amount of fires. And the smoke came down here to Maryland. I mean, that that shook me up a lot, I think, is when I could not go out without coughing or smelling the smoke. I mean, I'm just, I felt powerless, and we can't feel powerless. We have to understand <laughs> what's happened and act. It really shows that, the you know, you see the T-shirts people wear, you know, this is the only earth we got, or there is no plan B, sort of really brings it home. We need to take care of the, the one earth that we've got. There's no place else to go. So, Ned, as I review your published work, starting with the Chesapeake Watershed, Saving the Places We Love, Big Melt, and finally, Good Endeavor. I wonder if you feel your message is stronger in later works because you ask and get the reader to internalize your message of sustainability without pointing out the obvious. But is that personal outreach to them? Is that working? Good question. And that's always a challenge for an author because even after you finish the book, you end up giving, you know, 100 talks or something to different audiences. And every time you have a chance to test that out. My first two were nonfiction, you know, so in essence, I was the expert there telling a story about the Chesapeake or the country. And that was comfort zone for me. I mean, my whole career, my writing and public speaking has been on science issues, right? But in this case, public speaking, I think, is needed for many other reasons, not just to advance science, but to educate us all. I do think the third book, which was written for young adults, high school, college age, engages people of that age and older people. Uh, and the last one, Good Endeavor, I think you're right, Bob. It's like I really wanted to write a just write an engaging story about the history of this area through the eyes of my family and, and other people who have studied this area. And I just wanted people to enjoy it because I think by reading it, a lot of people come up after my talks and say how much it inspired them. It inspired them to look 
back at what they might have done or what their ancestors did. Inspire them to look at the problems we have today and realize they're very similar to the ones we've had in the past. So it gives us perspective on decision-making. So yes, I hope people read it, they internalize the messages, they uh, love the book, but that hopefully it also inspires them to act as an individual, as a community, as a country, on issues such as not just climate change, but equity issues, the fragility of democracy, uh, the place for vigilante justice or injustice. Uh, there's all these questions that would take us all to get involved working together. Instead of getting mad at each other, we need to work together like many of us do every day in our jobs. But I'm hoping that does have a bigger impact, Bob. And we'll have to wait and see. The book just came out this past year. Well, Ned, now I know you've, you've started working with the Patuxent Review, working with other authors and helping them refine their crafts. What has that meant for you? Do you try and incorporate the sustainability message as you're encouraging them to write and communicate? Very good question, Bob. And I really was honored to be asked to be on the board of the Little Patuxent Review. It's a wonderful literary journal. And, you know, this last time, I think we had 600, 700 submissions to it. So we're getting some very high quality ones. The editor of the journal each twice a year uh, gets to choose what goes in it. We've discussed whether it'd be fun to have topical material in there or not. Uh, I'm sure we'd like to see issues dedicated to nature and climate change and all these other questions we talked about. So we'll see. But my main interest now is just to keep it as a growing tool for people to read. I know the college gets lots of copies for their different classes. And I would like to see that spread across all of Maryland and across the country, giving authors another avenue to share their creativity with all of us. So it's a great program. A little off topic, but have anyone tried to get the big melt removed from the libraries or the classrooms? <laughs> you offended people enough with that? You know, when you write something, you, you wonder who your audience is going to be and how do you stimulate them. If somebody's not going to read my book, you know, that's up to them. But I do think I try to have some balance between what is possible and what things we have to, you know, like to aspire to uh, and bring as many people along as possible and encourage more activism on people who want to deal with these issues in a, in a more serious way. If folks would like to uh, read your books, where can they get a hold of them? Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other online bookstores are the easiest way to get it. I'll probably distribute it through some local bookstores this spring. I have them in case anybody wants classroom sets. I can certainly get them to people. But I would think the easiest thing is just to go onto Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You know, look up my name. It would tell you I have four books out, and you would be able to buy them that way. Now, I know you're usually at all the public events we have here. I know you're going to be at Greenfest, okay, and I'm sure you'll have a table with your books there. You've always been very kind to sign my books. I'd like to think that you're, you're thinking about me when you do sign them, but you do seem to put that thought and effort, that transparency into any book that you sign. So I, I really appreciate that. And I would encourage others to visit you at your table at Greenfest. Yes, certainly. I will have the books there and I'll also be able to talk to people if they want me to lead a hike for their company or their organization. I still love leading hikes around Columbia. And it's one good way to understand the challenges 
and the balance so that, you know, you'll learn a lot, not just about the nature, but the history going back hundreds of years of this area. So yeah, come, come visit me at GreenFest, be happy sign books and maybe schedule some talks. Are there walks that you would encourage people to just go ahead and take on their own? Or are there ones that you'd rather have them wait and take you or another docent along with them? Well, there's over 100 miles of paved paths here. And there are also some wonderful unpaid paths. So I could certainly always recommend those. Some people come to my walks because they are hesitant to go on the trails by themselves. Not something I appreciated before hearing that. So I'm happy to introduce people to some of these new trails. The lakes are always fun, but the Wincopen Trail is one of the nicest ones in Maryland. I often go out there, especially like right now, the snowdrops are blooming, daffodils are beginning. So it's kind of a fun time of year to get out on the trails. What, what do you notice on these walks that really brings climate change front and center? Well, it's interesting to see, one, the damage to a lot of trees from beetles. That's something we're watching, and I think they are migrating into this area, like in my book. You know, fires can happen any place. So that, you know, if you really have really dry two or three weeks, you have to be careful. I know a couple of years ago, we had the wettest season ever, like 70 inches of water. And yet, part in the middle of that season, there was a three-week dry spell where we had fire warnings out. See a lot of invasives when we go for walks. We see a lot of streams, which are have been ruined in many cases by too much runoff without the water soaking into the ground. Uh, result of a lot of development, but also there are good things we've done. There's a lot of places where those have been fixed. So yes, I mean, I think everywhere you look, you see that. But the heart of all this, I'm hoping that people would be inspired to walk more, get outside more, take care of things more. Uh, I'm hoping I leave almost a well, inspirational or motivational results to these walks and to my talks to inspire people to take action. Do you have any talks coming up here in the near future that people could look into? Yeah, this is the book that most people get me out talking about these days. Uh, I have one coming up in Glenwood Library, one in Perry Hall Library, one at the uh, Queen Anne's Library in Kent Island. Those are some of the public ones that are coming up. But I'll probably give, you know, 20 talks between now and the summer. For those that don't know, you grew up in Joppa Town. So it's, it seems normal that Perry Hall and those, those other folks right around the shore would be uh, interested in hearing from you. Any coming mm-hmm. up right here in Columbia in the very near future? Glenwood's the closest, right? That's Western Howard County. I'm doing several of the continuous care facilities, the retirement homes, I did one at Vantage House in the fall with a great turnout. I'm doing Riderwood. That's not too far away. Just did Broadmead on Friday. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if somebody's interested, just go to my website, which is savingtheplaces.com, and look under upcoming events. There's a whole list of them there. Or just contact me. I can put you on my email list. That's great. And I certainly encourage anyone who hasn't caught one of your talks yet to go ahead and do so. What you do, you want to keep catching them. You, you had mentioned the invasive species, which is something that's grown to be very close to my heart, a lot of my activity. We see here recently the impact of the invasive species on places like California with the fires and and uh, and even Hawaii, where the invasive species were allowed to, to run wild 
and force out the native vegetation and then become a tinderbox. Do you see any particular areas right around our area where we might be susceptible to that? Oh, you know, a number of the parks are overrun with invasive species. And I know that the thought on how to manage that changes from time to time. But it's certainly worth checking in with CA or the state parks or the county recs and parks and see if there's any way you can help out if that's an issue that you can help on. I know that's pulling a lot of weeds. It might be hard for some people, but uh, the more people engage, I think the better off we are. Recently, stream restoration has uh, got a lot of people's uh, hackles up okay, to say when uh, the stream that people want to restore is in their backyard. How can you get people to reconcile what needs to be done in their own view sheds? It's a classic challenge. I mean, you can do the science. You can come up with a couple great options, but you can never satisfy everybody's needs and interests. Uh, I think what's fortunate in Howard County is that we often do have good studies to figure out what are the best options. But if you have two people on different sides of the fence, it may, it may impact them differently. And that's, that becomes this political decision. And I hate to say political, but we have a process for collecting the information, discussing it, debating it, and then implementing it. And after implementing it, then you have to maintain it. These are not things that should be taken lightly, but I do think we have some excellent people in this county to make some of those decisions. I just wish it was easier. So it didn't cost so much in you know, debating it. <laughs> you mentioned maintenance, and that's, that's a sore point on so many of the efforts that people go through with planting trees and putting in rain gardens and rain barrels and things, but then they have to be taken care of. Are there resources that you know out there or guidance for people on after they've done this good thing, what help can they get? How can they keep it going? Yes, there's several places you should look and contact people. I mean, certainly the Ready program has been around for a while, which is a bunch of young people working on the installation and, and the maintenance of rain gardens. But certainly go to Live Green Howard. That's the county webpage from the Environmental Sustainability Commission and office. It's a very good place for information. Um, there are changes going on in all both these organizations, but we have lots of nonprofits here, and we're trying to coordinate efforts. So certainly go on Live Green Howard. And the other one, are, you know, there are some of the nonprofits are pretty substantial, such as the Howard County Conservancy. They have tens of thousands of people come out there to walk the trails. They have programs every month, and it's a great way to keep up. I've been to two programs in the last six weeks that were excellent. So uh, I would certainly get on Howard County Conservancy website, as well as the Office of Sustainability website. Well, we've reached the end of our show. Thank you, Ned, for joining me today. I'll be back next month with another guest and a sustainable topic. And in the meantime, if you have ideas or comments, you can connect with me at rmarietta at howardcc.edu. You can listen to this and all of our other episodes at dragonpodcast.com podbeam.com and you can also catch us on HCC TV and Howard Community College's YouTube page. Now don't forget to share, like, comment and let others know to join us and help us take care of our world because every small step each of us take can have a great impact when we all walk together. Thank you.